so I'd like for you to picture with me um, some parents sitting together talking about how to raise their kids in the faith. Um, you can picture them in a, in a room um, looking a bit frazzled probably and, and tired and a bit confused and maybe there's coffee available but, but really at the heart of this conversation is a desire to see their children raised in the faith. In all the little complicated scenarios that unfold in the course of a day or a week or a month or a year or a childhood. And where this conversation sort of touches down first is, is in baptism. It's a question about baptism, really. Um, this question about how to raise your children in the faith. Um, you know, one, one mom says, um, you know, when we had our child baptized a few years ago, I honestly, like, I just did it because I knew it would make my parents happy. What do I do with that now that I desire more for, for them? Um, you know, a parent to a teenager says, my child was baptized in the church, and, and now they don't seem like they really want to get out of bed on Sunday morning or have anything to do with, with God or the church or the scriptures, and it's just so boring to them, and all they want to do is play video games and talk to their friends, and I don't know what to do. You could imagine other scenarios unfolding or other comments being made. Um, that conversation wasn't a real one happening in Newland. I mean, maybe that would be a good conversation for us to have here. Um, but it could just as easily have been had in New York or New Zealand. I mean, that, this, is, this is the way of things, isn't it? Um, parents seeking to understand, how can I raise my children in the faith? Raise them up in the way that they should go so they will not depart from it, as the scriptures say. But you know, that conversation is actually one that we should all be having all the time, not just about our children, but about ourselves. Trying to understand and come to terms with the fact that we've been, we've been baptized. You, I think just, I think everyone in this room has been baptized. You, you have been baptized. What does that mean now? How do you grow into that identity and reality? How does that change your life? And all the little scenarios that unfold over the course of a day or a week or a month or a childhood or a lifetime, what does it mean that you have been baptized? And if it begins, if that conversation begins in baptism, it moves naturally to the table, to the Eucharist. This is where Christ continues to share his grace with us. Some important things happen in those two places. In baptism, you die, and you're raised up again, new. In baptism, your enemies are defeated like the Egyptians caught in the water. And then, as you make it to the other side, to the other shore, you experience freedom. In baptism, you enter into the church. It's like, this is how it starts. You die with Christ and are raised up again with Him. At the table... Um, you know, baptism is a once and for all thing. Happens one time. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over, over all, says Ephesians. But we keep coming to the table, don't we? Over and over and over again. Baptism, 
You're raised up new with Christ. You've been justified in him. At the table, he continues to share his grace with you and strengthen you and shape you and mold you and empower you and bind you to himself over and over and over and over. Baptism and the table. You know, the the church in North America is on a pretty good decline. I always get these things backwards. I guess it would be this way if you're looking at it, right? Um, so church is on, on something of a decline here. In other parts of the world, it's exploding. Um, but our experience is lived out, you know, 21st century North America and the United States and you know, North Carolina and Avery County. Um, we see, we can see uh, a trend. And so the question that people are asking about their kids, how can I raise my kids up in the faith, is the question that, I mean, if we had all our church together, we are, we are now a multi-generational bunch, but I'm looking around the room, and I don't know what the average age is, but it probably lines up pretty well with the age of church folks in North America in 2021. So we're asking this question, how do we raise others in the faith? How, how do we disciple people? And one of the key answers comes to remembering our baptism and a deep consideration of what happens there and at the table, the sacraments, right? And that's sort of a different thing than trying to figure out, well, how can we sell Jesus best? Or how can we be the best marketers of this amazing deal that God gives us of like everything if we, you know, ask forgiveness and ask him to save us? We're not into marketing or consumerism. This is what Jesus has commanded us to do. So I wonder how often you get up in the morning and think, I've been baptized. What, is that, what difference does that make today? Or I wonder how, mu- how many um, times you consider, I received communion on Sunday. What difference does that make for my Thursday? Right, so I, I think there is room for us to have a deeper appreciation, consideration of the sacraments, of the grace God promises to give us. But here's the turning point. If we do that, we're naturally going to be opened up to questions about the commandments of God. And that's where we're going today. Actually, we're, next week will be the commandments. This week we're getting ready to receive them, okay? Because actually, if you are thinking about baptism, communion, and the commandments of God, you know, if it does make a difference, how should I live? Well, God says, here's how you should live. If I'm thinking about baptism, communion, and commandments, that means really you're thinking about Exodus. That's what we've been talking about, isn't it? Watch with me. Exodus is laying it out for us. Last week was the walk through the sea, which parted, right? What happened? The people came to the water. Pharaoh's army came up behind. They were trapped. The glory of the Lord moved from in front of the people in between the people and the enemies, and then Moses parted the sea, or God did as Moses raised his arms. The people walked through as on dry ground. Pharaoh's armies came in, chasing them, and the sea covered them, and God was victorious over the enemies of his people. But remember, the freedom wasn't just from external things, it was from internal things, yes? That's the freedom we're talking about. And so as as the, as the um, people of Israel walked through the sea and were baptized, they were in slavery, now they're in freedom. They were dead, now they're alive. 
There was an old life, but now a new life is set before them. Before they were under Pharaoh, now they serve the living God. As they move out into the wilderness, we see a new life unfolding. Now they have to figure out, what does this mean to be free? What does this mean to serve the Lord? What does it mean to belong to Him? They have to ask those questions. They've been baptized, they've been set free, but now it's like, what difference does this make? And you'll notice what begins to unfold, right? The first thing that happens is, they get thirsty, and they say, remember? Boy, it'd be nice to be slaves again, where at least we could drink water and not die in the wilderness. And then God gives them water, the stick in the pool, Mara, which is bitter, is now made sweet. They can drink. They go a few days further, a few steps further. Again, wouldn't it be great to be back in Egypt in slavery? Could we not run back to Pharaoh and our work where at least we had full tummies? Y'all got to stick with the, with the dad of you know, a four-year-old because Winnie the Pooh, there's this song on Winnie the Pooh. It says, Pooh Bear takes care of his tummy. That's what a Pooh Bear must do. Y'all didn't know I knew that quote, did you? <laughs> well, that's what poo bears and us do. And how often are we concerned with our tummies? And the people just wanted them to be full, and they didn't care what it took. They just wanted to be satisfied. And then God again worked miracles and sent what from heaven? Manna. Sent bread from heaven. And then sent quail to populate the ground in the evening and fed the people. And they realized just a little more, okay, we've been baptized, we've been set free, we've been brought under the authority of the Lord who's going to protect us, who's called us out, who's promised us a future. He's going to do things for us. And they're learning little by little that God will provide. And then Amalek comes, this king, and, and wages war against the people. And God defeats Amalek and protects them against their enemies going forward, and eventually brings them to the mountain, to Mount Sinai, where he gives the law. Now this morning, our passage meets us right here, this place. Um, This place after we've been baptized. This place that comes after God sends the bread from heaven. That's who Jesus says he is in the Gospel of John. I'm the bread from heaven. After we've been baptized, after we receive day by day by day by day, that's how God sent the manna. Over and over and over again, providing, protecting, giving us water. Jesus says he's the living water. We drink of him, we'll never be thirsty. It will well up within us like a spring that bubbles over to eternal life. After all this, after, that's an important word, after all of this, now God brings the people, brings us to the mountain where he's going to give the law, to give the commandments. And so I want you to listen carefully and listen well to Exodus chapter 19. If you'd like to follow along. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt... On that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There, Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him 
out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the, word, that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all round, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits round the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I have two points this morning. Um, this, this is uh, something of a preparatory sermon. And I think we have warrant for that because did you see how much preparation had to be done in order for the people to go receive the law, right? Moses has to go up the mountain. And then he has to come back down and tell the people what God says. And the people talk to Moses and he goes back and tells God what the people said as if God didn't know. And then he comes back down and he gets all the people sorted and makes sure they're prepared. And they wash their garments and they consecrate themselves. And they know not to come up to the mountain, but to stay down below. And the priests also have to stay below. But then Moses goes up again and 
God calls him by way of a trumpet, and he goes up and speaks with him, and he comes back down and takes Aaron, and he takes Aaron back up, and there's this very elaborate process, isn't there? There's a lot of preparation that happens, and in the midst of all the running around, there's three days that the people have to consecrate, to set themselves apart so that they're prepared. And so what I want us to do is to think for a moment, to prepare ourselves for a moment here so that next week we might receive the Ten Commandments well. To receive what God says to the people and says to us through His Word in a way that um, we, are, we are rightly oriented as we come to receive. That's what God is doing. He's preparing them. Um, graciously, in fact. I mean, immediately some of the, some of the um, warnings kick in about don't come up on the, on the mountain or you will die, right? And we want, that's a whole topic unto itself. But there's this sense in which um, death can be experienced by holiness. That, that we are not prepared to come into God's presence. That the people were not able to come into God's presence fully. That if they did, it would be so overwhelming that it, that it, would, it would be um, sort of a crushing thing. You'll notice that they come to a mountain and there's a limit set at the bottom, right? Which is interesting because, you know, Ezekiel said that Garden of Eden was a mountain. And what happens after the people sin and they're sent out away from the God's presence again for, so that they would be, it was a gracious thing so that they wouldn't be overwhelmed. And there was a limit set around the garden they couldn't cross. But in this instance, God does call Moses up. So there's some things are happening. You can see the mountain that is the Garden of Eden and now Sinai, but now there's a different sort of call forward and different access and different communication that is being given. And so things are starting to open up. Things are beginning to change in a new way. But I want us to approach this rightly. That's what God wanted for the people. And so I want you to think for a minute, what do you think of when you hear the Ten Commandments? When you hear this word command, do you think of it as a, as a list of rules? Like, you better follow this. I mean, there's some serious warnings in here, right? You, you better follow it or else. Is that kind of what comes across to you? Um, is it like, you know, there's rules everywhere in our lives, right? Is it just another rule that we have to observe and you better keep? Is it something that God gives to you and it's like you kind of get it and um, you're like, okay, I gotta, here's the ten things. And, uh, and you start trying to either carry them out or pay attention to them without reference to God. Like it's something now, it's like your assignment. Take it and do it on your own. Is that how you think of it? Um, do you think of it as, as, as words that we want to keep on tablets in the town square? Which I, I think the Ten Commandments are out here. right? Or at the courthouse in whatever county you happen to live. Um, and it's good to want them there, but do you know them? Do you actually do you, have you memorized the Ten Commandments? Or are we content with them being on tablets in the square? Um, we know they're important, but how important are they? How do you approach them? I think for me, um, I think if I really stop and think, I I, I don't necessarily experience the commandments as an invitation to communion with God. I think, I think really, if I, if I get my knee-jerk reaction, I think of the commandments of God as something that 
that separates me because I'm concerned as to whether or not I, I, I keep them, which I don't, right? That's why we pray the prayer of confession every week. Um, so I think of them as, as something that separates. Is that how you think of them? I don't know, but I want you to think about how you think about them this week and even right now so that this can be some of our, our work of preparation so that next week we can receive them well. And so I have two points, hopefully, that will enable us to receive them in an appropriate way. Um, so here's the first one. You may not receive the Ten Commandments as something, which is my reaction, that separates. The commandments are an invitation to relationship for you and God. They're not an assignment that's handed out that you receive and you, you say, okay, well, I guess I better go do this on my own. Um, they are the means of communication. It's not something that happens you know, autonomously. I want you to notice the context for all of this. It's the story that we've just walked through. It's baptism. It's, it's communion. It's the giving of manna. It's defeat of enemies along the journey. And then they come to the mountain, right? Um, so the people... It wasn't like, you remember when Chip preached on um, the Passover and the people sat down at the table and killed the Passover lamb, put the blood on the doorpost and sat ready to exit. It wasn't at that point that God gave them the list of the Ten Commandments and said, oh yeah, by the way, um, you know, if you keep these, I'll set you free. And if you keep these, I'll lead you into a new life. And if you keep these, I'll make sure you, well, when you get thirsty in the wilderness, uh, I'll make some water for you. And if you get hungry out there too, if you keep these, I'll, I'll send you some manna tomorrow. But if you don't keep them, I'm probably going to let you be hungry or let you die of thirst or let your enemies come and overwhelm you as they trap you by the sea. I'll just let them slaughter. It. it wasn't like that, was it? It wasn't, here's a rule list, keep it, and then you can have relationship. Um, no. Next week, we'll discover that God begins the Ten Commandments communicating them by saying, I am the Lord who has brought you out of slavery. The Ten Commandments begin with a statement of who God is and what God has done for the people and the relationship that in His gracious love He has already established and already done. And that means the commandments are then a means of grace, a deepening of relationship, not an either or, or you better keep it. It's not, it's not just like that. He has already claimed them as his own and led them through the waters and led them into freedom and given them water in the wilderness and given them manna each day and defeated Amalek and the enemies and shown them step by step the next way along the journey as he led them this pillar of fire and of cloud cloud gave them shade by day and the pillar fire light by night and every step of the way God has been with them and now he brings them to the mountain now he brings them to the commandments and he says let's go even deeper because I want you to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation the purpose here isn't whether you get to be in relationship with God or not and if you break the rule you're out God's already claimed, He's already done all of this. But now, 
He's taking you another step further. Big steps, actually. So that you can be his chosen people, priests, for the blessing of the rest of the world. What happened for the people of Israel in an external way, right? They literally took the steps through the wilderness. They literally saw the walls of water beside them. They literally ate the manna. What happened for them externally happens for the Christian in an internal way, which is directed by Christ. For in baptism, God claims us, and we're, we die with Christ, and we're raised with Christ. Um, uh, Jesus is, in fact, also our living water, right, which bubbles up to eternal life. Jesus says himself in John, he is the manna, the, the bread from heaven, which is given to us. Jesus is the one who defeats our enemies. Where? On the cross. Um, Jesus is the one who also sends the Spirit so that step by step along life's path, we know the next one to take. Because the pillar of fire and of cloud, which led the people by day, has now, since Pentecost, come to reside in us. So here's the thing I want you to see. This is the first point. When you receive the Ten Commandments, it's not a means of possible separation between you and God. It's not something you do on your own separate from God and what He's doing with you and in you. It's a means of deepening that relationship. It's a good thing, not a... This is what my mom used to do as a teacher in the hall, like to kids when she'd take them out in the hall. Um, mom's six feet, and so she would, you know, she'd be bent way up. This, this is not the Ten Commandments, right? This is the Ten Commandments. So that's the first point. Second point is, um, is similar. Um, you can't come to the law, to the commandments, apart from God, and neither can you come to the law apart from the body of Christ, the people in this room. We live in, you know, 21st century. Um, we live in a culture that has um, incredible examples of, of, of great blessing, but we also have some conceptions of um, what it means to be created in God's image that aren't, just aren't true or real or as God intended it. And um, we tend to think of ourselves as individuals. And everything in our lives reinforces that. You're not just an individual. You're not a silo separate from everything else. These commandments aren't just, I want, I want you to be careful. They are a means of relationship with God, but that relationship is not just you and God, one-on-one, -on -one, nobody else gets to be a part of it. That's not how God comes. He didn't call people up. <clears throat> had this flash of insight this morning. Um, he didn't just call people up the mountain one at a time. Who went up the mountain? Moses. He didn't just call people up the mountain one at a time and say, here's the law for you, here's the commandments for you. You didn't take a number like at the DMV and then wait a super long time to get your turn. That's not how it unfolded. It unfolded together. The whole people he brings out. The whole people he leads into freedom. People connected, the people in this room when we come on Sunday, I think we're tempted to think, okay, I'm coming to church so that I can worship God. 
And I have a duty to God. I have a love for God. I have a desire to do that. And yes, it happens to be that these people around me in these seats come too. But it's them and God and we just happen to be pew neighbors or something. It's not that. Paul says that we are the body of Christ. It's an organic unity. We say it every week after the prayer of confession. Let the peace of Christ be with you. We have been called as members of a what? A single body. That's who we are. We, we're called into this together. Paul says, Christ is the head. We're the body. Can the eye say to the ear, I don't need you? Could the hand say to the foot, you know, I'm fine without you? No, we can't say that to each other. And God didn't even choose to reveal all of this separately as individuals, but as a people. And so we come next week and hear the Ten Commandments shared you don't do that outside of a relationship with God that is established in gracious love already. And you don't do that either outside of communion with each other. We come together. If you want an example, <clears throat> I mean, as we think about Moses is the one who goes up. The priests and the people are at a lower level off the mountain. But then Moses comes down and takes Aaron back up. And then the priests are down lower and then the, the, the people are below that. What you see is a mountain. And what you see is a, a picture, a visible representation of a hierarchy, which is necessarily connected. A hierarchy has both equality but also order to it because we're made in the image of God. This gets a bit technical, but the Son proceeds from the Father, but not the other way around. The Son and the Father are equal, sharing one essence. But the Father does not proceed from the Son. The Son proceeds from the Father. There's an order to it. There's an order even to the life of the Trinity that God has revealed to us. There's an order but also an equality. And the same way happens in the church. Same thing we see at the mountain. Moses is the one who goes up. Not everybody else goes up. Just Moses and Aaron. And then everyone else is at lower levels. But do you know... Joshua didn't go up, did he? He was there, but Joshua didn't go up. Did Joshua receive the Ten Commandments? Nine of them? Or like six of them because he didn't get to go all the way up? Or all of them? No, he received the whole law. It all came to him. And not only Joshua, but to his wife and to his children and to his family. Like it came to everyone. The fullness of the law is given, but there's an order within it. God calls... Um, um, the church out of the world for a particular task to become a, a holy priesthood for the world. And so within the church, he also calls particular people or groups of people particular functions for the goodness of the whole body. If you want another sort of picture of this, it's, it's a communion, right? Think about how that unfolds. There's something of a separation that happens, isn't there? Um, as the people, as God's people, as God's children, you are there. Not everyone comes and stands at the table, do they? But one who has been set aside for that responsibility. And so one person comes and stands. But then who comes up? The elders come up and then serve communion, right? To the people. And not everyone is designated for that task, for that act of service. That was our opening prayer this morning, right? Um, uh, that one who serves is greatest of all, right? It's the upside down world you know, or the right side up world of God's kingdom. 
And so the elders are called to a life, not of just being in charge, but of service, serving you. And so they bring the body of Christ. And does everyone receive the body of Christ and the blood of Christ that has been baptized and participated in Christ's death, so now they can participate in his life and by faith come to him? Um, Because you didn't get to stand at the table, does that mean you only get a little bit of it? Like Christ holds something back? Like six commandments or something? No, Christ gives his, his entire self to you, to you personally. But within the context of the body. And that's what's happening here. As the people come to receive the law, they come as God's chosen people. And that's how I want us to come next week. To receive the Ten Commandments, having been prepared, just as God prepared them, we want to be prepared to hear what He has to say so that we can go deeper, so that we can become the priests He's called us all to be, so that we can do that not as individuals living in an individualistic world, but as a common people, as a single body, as those bound in love to the Lord and to each other. God says, prepare. And consecrate yourselves. Y'all want to do that this week? Let's come ready. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.